Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I'm super excited about this one, you guys. I have an awesome guest here for you. We met on Instagram. We were talking back and forth, and I'm so excited to have her here with us today to get into her story, and we're going to be touching on a lot of different things here, but before we go ahead and get into that... I want to let you know who we are talking to today. I am joined by Nikki. She is a mental health coach for parents who have a child struggling with their mental health and also a former Pac-12 basketball player. She specializes in working with young athletes facing mental health challenges, helping them strengthen their mental mindset. She is also a speaker for NAMI's Ending the Silence program. So NAMI is National Alliance on Mental Illness, and the goal of the program is to eliminate stigma by creating awareness to mental health challenges while sharing her own bipolar disorder journey. She's also an ambassador at large with Morgan's Message, an organization that educates college athletes about mental health. Nikki is a regular contributor to the International Bipolar Foundation blog as well. And most recently, she was a guest on the Black and Bipolar podcast. So Nikki, thank you so much for taking the time out to join me here today and just get into the talk that we were wanting to make happen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Of course. And before we go ahead and jump in here, I want to start off with you and your story before we get to just the impact that that has had to be able to coach and support parents of of children going through that too. So give me a little bit of background on you and your first perception of bipolar, like wherever you first heard the term. And then from that moment, when you first heard what bipolar was, what was it like when you had your diagnosis? So bipolar was kind of a word that was always thrown around because I have a long history of mental illness in my family. Um, my aunt was schizophrenic. My uncle was bipolar. So it always had kind of a negative connotation with it. I was really fearful of having a mental illness because of the stories that I heard and the interactions that I had with my family members. So as I got older and started to notice in my teens that things were a little different with me, um, I could stay up. I noticed I started staying up for days. I would get kind of flashing lights in my eyes when I close my eyes at night if I was able to sleep and then I would get ringing in my ears. Um, those were the early onset kind of signs and symptoms, but I was also at the same time kind of an overachiever. I was playing sports. I was doing great in school. So I kind of walked around with the idea that there couldn't be possibly anything wrong with me. I was doing great. How could I have some sort of mental illness and my parents were the same. They when other people thought that there was something wrong or, you know, we should pay attention. They're like, oh, nothing's wrong with Nikki. You know, I mean, she's she's doing great in sports. She's doing great in school. She's a great kid. So it was always that stigma of that there's something wrong with someone who has a mental illness. And so as I got into college, I was playing basketball and I just I kept noticing things were different. I was different than others. I could stay out with my friends and party all night, write a paper at 5 a.m turn that in, go practice, but then I would crash. So that's when I first started experiencing that moment of, okay, I can't get out of bed, or I have this very unusual illness. Like I had shingles at the age of 19. And to show you where I was health-wise, I was 150 pounds, I could bench press 160 pounds, 7% body fat. So I was in really good health, but I was getting these weird illnesses. So nothing really added up. But I always just felt like if I was labeled as bipolar or anything else, that something was wrong with me. 
And so there was a lot of shame that surrounded that. Mm -hmm. And just hearing you get into the history of it too, right? From just even within your family, the kind of having the same mindset of this, this notion that mental illness is linked to something being wrong with you. And then basically you talk about being really, really good at sports, really, really good in school and having that. So it's like, okay, if this is how I'm living my life and this is what I've been doing for so long, how would this fit in, right? Where does it make sense? And then another thing too, that you, that you said too, is just the meaning of the stigma and kind of having to break through that as well. So, and you're noticing these things, right? What you said, I really relate to because you talk about being able to go out and, you know, have all this energy and go write a paper practice and then just have all that. And then you crash. And that's really what I would notice in myself too, but I would just kind of try to, you know, okay, well, the other people are like this, or, you know, it's not like it's so out, out there that it's not like it's happening for a week at a time. You know, for me, I would always have something that I would come up with as an excuse to, Like, this is why it's not, nor not weird or not out of the ordinary or not bipolar is that that kind of is a little bit of what I'm getting from you too, with the experiences that you had from it. So with the stigma piece of it, talk to me about the path from that to getting the diagnosis. (laughs) That was a long path. Um, So like you said, kind of when you have that crash and you're looking around to, you know, your colleagues or whatever, and they're not dealing with that. A lot of times I would blame it on physical issues, you know, oh, I'm sick or, oh, I had a hip injury from college or so a lot of it, I would kind of blame it on physical things because at least you could put your finger on it. But um, those time periods of being able to go days without sleep, the crashing started to get longer and longer. At first it was a day or a couple of days, but the mania always outweighed the depressive side of things until um, in my early 20s, I was actually working as a sports reporter for um, one of the big networks and I was in the middle of a sexual harassment lawsuit, a really big one that made it into the news. And that stress was like, unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. And so I was dealing with that. Then at the same time, my dad told me he had cancer. Mm -hmm. So it was like everything was coming at the same time and I was not equipped to handle those kind of things. And so literally my body went into shock. I didn't sleep for days. And so that was my first suicide attempt was in 2004. I hadn't slept for days and I literally just took a bunch of Tylenol PMs because I thought that I wanted to sleep. It wasn't even in my mindset that I wanted to end my life. I just hadn't slept in so long and I couldn't handle the stress and everything else. And so when I went to the hospital after that, I kind of separated myself from everyone because I was like, well, I wasn't really trying to kill myself. That's what I kept telling myself. And I, there were people who had really serious mental illnesses. And so I just, I, that was like, that's not me. I'm not that, you know, I'm fine. And so when I got that diagnosis of bipolar, I didn't believe it. I was like, no, I'm fine. I'll read some books. I'll be okay. And even my, my mom was like, no, you don't have bipolar. Um, so, cause there was no idea of like high functioning or any of those things were not around at that time. And so I carried on for another 10 years actually basically running from my mental illness because after that as a sports reporter i moved all over the country and every time things would get tough i'd move to another place and get another job until finally i was in new york city and i thought that i couldn't handle the stress anymore so i moved back home to san diego where my friends and family were but it wasn't about where i was and i couldn't run away from it anymore and so 10 years later I did try to take my life again. And that time that was my goal. It really was because I was spiraling. 
I didn't have an answer. I'd gone to so many psychiatrists who, you know, either depression or anxiety, ADHD. I, I mean, I was labeled with everything, diagnosed with everything. And I never stuck with it. I never stuck with the medication. I never stuck with the therapy because again, I just, for, well, insurance purposes, I didn't have the ability to get doctors that really suited my needs, but um, I just ran from the diagnosis. And then finally that time I was in a coma for uh, about three days. They put me in a medically induced coma. And when I came out, I just, had that moment of this is not life I can't keep doing this to myself because I was hurting myself physically my my mindset was just all over the place and I really knew that I was better than the way I was living and I knew that I deserved more and so I was really fortunate that when I got out of the hospital um actually so when I first got out of the hospital I met with a doctor who told me I should watch it's a wonderful life he said that he was like, you should watch It's a Wonderful Life. That'll make you feel better. And I was like, are you serious? Like, that's what you're telling me? I just spent five days in a hospital. But he did refer me to a wonderful doctor that started my team um, that I still have today. And that was in 2014. So and I've been medicated ever since because I knew I needed a change. I knew that um, I couldn't go on like that. It was just because it gets worse as you get older, right? Like if you're not medicated if you're not doing something about it um some sort of treatment it gets worse and for me the ups and downs got so extreme i just couldn't take it anymore oh my gosh and, and especially when you relate it to the running away part like the place the travel and really like okay i'll stay here then i'll just go over here and then you finally had that moment where you said it's not about the place it's yeah. like literally realizing this and then having the past like going back to your, the hospitalization and then realizing that you've been in front of so many people who will tell you, here's what your diagnosis is, or here's what the medications are, but then not sticking with it. Right. Because I feel like for that's really reminds me too, of my diagnosis of running away with it and not really having the awareness of it, of like the impact, the effects, like long-term effects that it can have. But then also when you talk about knowing that you are better than how you're living right now. And then having that realization and then just really being able to do that, because especially when we talk about stress and the way that it impacts our, our minds, our bodies, and especially like having bipolar disorder, having a diagnosis, and then also like our environments, right? Where we're around people who are like, no, you know, that's not what it is. And it's almost like it confirms our belief because- yeah we believe it. We're like, no, like this isn't really like that bad or what it is. And then we have people around us who are like, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not what it is. So it's, you're going to continue to do what you've always been doing. But then I love that you had, you talked about that realization coming out of it. And then 2014, like starting the, the process of building the team that you have now, getting the medications, getting the support, and then also the barriers too, like to, talking about the barriers with insurance and then trying to get the care that you're looking for. Because I feel like that's something that I'd love to ask you more about too. And because I know something that we wanted to get into is specifically going back to that stigma piece. Like, I'd love to hear a little bit more about this from you too. Like, talk to me about what that looks like. And does it look the same today as it did when you were initially diagnosed, like that stigma that, that played for you, like, and, and also in the African-American community too, I want to hear that perspective. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just it. Cause you know, you grow up um, in a certain environment and again, you know, long history of mental illness on my dad's side, on the African-American side, I'm mixed. My mom is white, my dad's black. 
And, but the culture, the way I was raised was very much black. Um, and it was, you don't really talk to people about your troubles. You know, you go to church, you pray, but you don't really go to a doctor because one, the history of black people in mental health is mistreatment. Right, so it's always that the, you get mistreated, you get misdiagnosed. It's a waste of time. That was always what was kind of looming over me um, and talked about. And so that stigma, combined with um, not having any awareness of the signs and symptoms, something so simple as being able to connect the dots of all the things that kind of seemed off with me, but I never really knew where they came from. And so when I was able to connect the dots of like, oh, this is the reason why I like to drive 120 miles an hour down the freeway some nights. This is the reason why I'm sleeping with people randomly at certain times in my life and not at others. Um, you know, this is the reason why I'm staying up all hours. So understanding those quirks that are in your life that I kind of just thought, well, they were unique to me, but that's what I kind of was like, oh, I'm just unique. But understanding where they come from is so important as just as much so as that it's in my DNA, um, you know, and I, I, I know that from reading a lot of journals and um, talking to a lot of doctors, it can be in your DNA, but not set off. A lot of it comes from childhood trauma, um, things like that, that can bring it out. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. There was abuse. The, uh, my brother was a drug addict. Um, there was a lot of dysfunction. So I trying to be the um, keep everyone happy, do everything great, excel, all that. I didn't want anything to be wrong with me because I, I, you know, I didn't want to be the troubled child. My brother had already accomplished that um, being in and out of rehab. So I didn't want to disappoint my parents. And so having that awareness I think really um, gets rid of that stigma because now it's um, it's black and white right it's not like oh someone said no this is literally why I do these things, this is why I am the way I am now I can tell people all the time my story there's no shame in it it's like this happened because I have bipolar disorder it's not something I consciously did to act out or anything like that it literally was my mindset was different at that time than it is now so i think with awareness we're able to eliminate that stigma where people can see themselves and just understand that it's as simple as when someone says you have a broken bone like you know you have a broken bone here's the x-ray this is what happens this is why you can't walk or whatever it may be it's the same exact idea I love that you like make that correlation too. Cause I feel like when we think about it the same way, you think about, Oh, when someone's in the hospital for ha having like breaking a bone, we don't, you know, we send them cards, we go visit them, but then someone's in a hospital for, Oh, something going on mental yeah. health. You don't know, like kind of avoid it. You don't want to ask too many questions. And then even just having that breakdown from you too, like a, the background of like how you grew up. So your mom's white, dad's black raised primarily black, and then having all of the struggles with mental health, but then like seeing that too. Right. Cause that's kind of like, you know, I know I have just other people's stories, hearing their perspective and saying, you know, this is what I saw in my home, or this is what I saw with my dad, my uncle, my, you know, my aunt, and really being able to see like how it's like being 
almost like pushed under the rug. We don't talk about it. And like you're saying, like the thing that you would do was go to church, pray. You don't really talk about your problems, but it's almost like you stepped into this role, but it, I love how you kind of show the role comparison. You talk about your brother, like drug addict going in and out of rehab. And then you are like this, the, the one that's accomplishing all these things. The one that is bringing like happiness to, to your family from this, this vantage point. So it's like, okay, well then you're linking bipolar with disappointment. So they go hand in hand. So bipolar and disappointment, that's what that is. So I can't even have that because then that like taints it. And then what is like, what is my role? What am I contributing? And I feel like just being able to step back and see that when you introduce like the awareness piece and then getting into, you know, once we're able to really see, you know, what, where do my quirks come from? Right. And then list them out like different periods of your life. Okay. Like literally getting into like hypersexuality piece and saying, okay, this period of time, like this is what I was doing, but then like, where is that coming from? Like digging deeper into it instead of like doing what, you know, we're so used to is like run away, avoid, like the facade, like everything's fine, but not really wanting to get into it because it's almost like it's scary if you do find out what it is, because like you're saying, you have to address it and do the work on it. If you can remember like a moment or like, what was it in you that shifted into like, like linking bipolar and disappointment together to really being able to have the mindset that you have now of just understanding it, having the awareness, and then being able to have that system in place when it comes down to the treatment. How did that change or shift happen? Yeah. I think when you talk about disappointment, um, when I got out, you know, when I woke up out of the coma in the hospital, um, standing at the foot of the bed was my wife of one year. We had just been married one year. Seeing the look on her face, I felt like she couldn't be any more disappointed in me. I felt like she was confused. Um, she just, she didn't know where it came from and she didn't have any background in understanding mental health. So it just smacked her upside the head. And so, and we had talked about starting a family. Um, and so I just felt like I was running myself ragged and there's no way we could bring a child into this world with me being like this. And I knew I grew up in a very, um, tumultuous home. So I didn't, I, that's the last thing I want for my child is to have some sort of erratic behavior or you know i was never really angry or violent but i was erratic and i wasn't um stable in terms of my personality like you know super happy or could cry at the you know drop of time so i just um i wanted i wanted to be stable and you know it was funny that one of the hardest things when i first went to my my um, therapist who i love she's great and I had a really hard time with stability because stability is boring, you know, <laughs> and it that flat line that most people live in. That's the norm, but for someone who's been going up and down their whole life and expe especially experiencing mania um, to go from that to stability was tough. I was like, is this now you're telling me this is the way I have to live and it was really difficult, but. I don't know. I'm I'm really um, my mental like my mental toughness is really strong. Just as an athlete, when I tell myself I'm gonna do something, I do it. And I I just said this is it. I have to. If they're telling me I need to take this medication, then I need to take this medication. And for people who first start medication, no one told me the immediate side effects. No one told me how it's going to change your body or you know I, I had like the hand jerks at first um i was 
just like I couldn't my blurred vision like a lot of things were different I'm like so I've got to do this now and but she reminded me to give it time at first it started with give it six months then it started giving give it a year so it wasn't so daunting of like I have to live the rest of my life like this it was like let's just figure it out in these short time periods um but when I got out of the hospital it I was in a daze and I just had to trust the people around me and my wife literally held my hand, took me to the doctor. She's like, I'm here for you, whatever you need. Um, and then again, I just, I had a really amazing team that just saw something in me. And to this day, she's like, I can't lose you. So if you need me, I'm here. Like, it's just been, it's been life-changing, literally. It's been amazing. Wow. And just hearing the transition too, and especially what I hear in a lot of what you just said is the support piece of having Mm -hmm. a relationship, having people that you're going to for medication, therapy, like those solid core of that group. And it really makes me want to ask because having that just, you know, for, for me too, is like made a world without that, it wouldn't be what it is today without that support. And then I'd love to ask you too, if there's what things did you have to cut out of your life to be able to be where you are. Yeah. Uh, so first support, you're right. I mean, dead on, um, being in a healthy relationship, um, and just having people around you who may not get it, but they're there for you. But, um, I think that is just so important. Some of the things I had to give up, well, I had to, I don't know if it's giving up, but more adding. So my sleep is very important. I make sure even if I'm tired or not, I get to sleep every night, no later than 11. I'm usually up by 5.30 or 6. I go running in the morning every morning. I start my day off by running um, and meditating. So those are all things that I never did before. I also journal. I journal to keep track of my moods um, so that I can see how I'm trending. Because different times, both of my suicide attempts were in, um, one was in November, one was in December. So they're both in winter. So I pay attention around that time. What's going on with me? Where where am I? Um, and then, I well, a big one is alcohol. I maybe have one drink every now and then, two most if we're going to a party, I'll, you know, but got rid of alcohol, um, no illicit drugs for sure. Um, I never really was into those, but, you know, every once in a while. So really what it was was structuring my life um adding those things that you know kept me healthy i've always been person to work out as an athlete but i had let that go for a while i now play in a flag football league because i love competing i love getting that adrenaline going so all those things i look for healthy ways to kind of get what i got out of mania you know i never will get that high but i can do other things and for me, I find getting those endorphins, getting adrenaline going, that helps keep me up. So if times I'm ever low, I'll tell myself, you know what, you got to get out and run, you got to do something. Today, it was super hot. So I did an indoor workout just to make sure I did something. Um, But it's tough, you do have to, you have to change your life. I mean, really, but it's having those people around you. And it's a perfect combination of having people around you having the right um, health insurance to help you see those people to get the medication. That's a difficult one that I feel for other people who don't have that. And then having um, a healthy environment to live in. We have a nice home, I can work out, I can run around here. So I, I consider myself blessed in that essence. 
Wow. I love that you just talked about the things that you used to have and then the limits that you place, right? So you talk about alcohol and then the way that you used to live compared to today and then adding the things in that have really made a difference because that's something that I never knew about until when I was first diagnosed, even years later, I was like, oh, wow, having these different types of routines and, you know, being able to track that and see that in, in front of you makes a difference. And especially when you outline in your journal, going back to the past two suicide attempts being in November, December. So paying attention to yourself during that time, instead of just thinking, okay, well, that's over, you know, that was in the past, but then continuing to stay consistent with your sleep routine. I know that's a hu huge one, your environment where you're at, and then also having access to the resources that have been helpful just in this whole entire journey with being able to get it, to make it what it is today, you know, back mm -hmm. from before you were struggling back before you were diagnosed too. When you first got into the coaching aspect, tell me about just the value that that has not only brought to your life, but the transformations and what you've been able to witness for other, other people that you're working with. Yeah, I... I've always been, I've always loved to help people. Um, and actually when I got into television, I thought that, you know, as a vessel of information, I would be helping people. Um, and then as things got going with my mental health and my life, I got into other jobs that I just wasn't enjoying. I was working for a startup um, when the pandemic hit. And I said, what am I doing? Again, one of those moments of what am I doing here? I wanna help people. And I had started sharing my story just to start with before that. And um, I noticed it was very well received. People were like, wow, okay, you know, and, and I noticed the changes in them and how they felt about bipolar disorder. So I actually, um, I read Jay Shetty's book and I learned that he was starting a certification school for coaching. I said, well, I'm gonna sign up. And so I would think I was in like the second class to graduate from his school um, and I, you kind of, what I like about it was you could structure it and take it any way you wanted. And I knew I wanted to help people with their mental health. I didn't know how, but through it, I looked back on the fact that my parents both now say that they wish they had resources. They wish they had the, the opportunities to help me, but they didn't know better. And so I thought, well, if I can do that, if I can help people find the resources, get the skills and tools that they need, have the parents, either the parents or the kids themselves or both, then, you know, maybe they can get, navigate through life a little easier with their mental health challenges. Because a lot of mental health challenges aren't always illnesses. A lot of them are situational, they're circumstantial. Um, so there are ways to help them without medication. And so that's what I do is I work with parents, I work with kids to navigate, especially being a teen, it's very difficult right now. And so one in five teens will have a mental illness in their life and only 50% of them will get help. So what I try to do is step in there and help them navigate that and then have those tools to take with them the rest of their life. Wow. I love the way that you break down the resource aspect. And then also the majority of mental health challenges, not always being an illness, but then the situational aspect and then breaking down the approach for that, because just hearing you get into that literally sounds to me like you became the person that you wish you had at that oh, age. Yeah. Like you are that you are that person and yeah. being able to give that information because especially being a parent, you know, having a child, a teen struggling with this, trying to go online, research stuff, like look it up, whatever it is. But then having someone like you, who's literally lived this, had this lived experience and can take that and really give them that, that path, that guide 
to really being able to understand what, what are the resources that we even need, you know, cause there's so many out there. And then that really makes me think of something that I, I always love asking everyone this question, cause everyone has a different answer. If you think about this podcast and when you hear, hear live well bipolar, what does that mean to you? It means exactly what I'm doing right now is that I have bipolar, but I am thriving in life. I'm not struggling. I'm not, um, it's the challenge, but I'm conquering it. And you're right. I I'm trying to be exactly who I wish I had when I was younger. Cause there weren't podcasts around, uh, there wasn't much internet information at the time. So I, you know, and it can be daunting for people to try to navigate cause there's almost too much information and you don't know how to sift through it all. And I never had an example of someone who had bipolar disorder when I was younger to say, okay, they're living with it. They've got that, you know, we had examples of people with cancer who, you know, get through that or move on or diabetes, but you never saw someone with bipolar disorder. You're like, they are thriving. So I can do that too. So that's what I hope to be an example of. And don't make the mistakes that I've made, you know, let me help you make your life a little easier than what I've had to endure. No, I love that you just relate it to like the living example of what it looks like, because, you know, going back into just pre-diagnosis and growing up, that was how I felt too. Never really seeing a lot of what does like, cause it was always linked to a, a negative meaning. It wasn't ever like, okay, this person has bipolar, lives with bipolar and is thriving. They're successful. They've managed whatever they've gone through and been able to do that. There wasn't anything like that, that I at least saw or had access to. So I love that you made that a thing that you have created and are really living it. So I want to ask you too, this is what I always got to ask everybody here because I know you guys, I feel like I could talk to Nikki literally <laughs> forever and ever on this, but because she's here just for the podcast, I got to ask you, where can people go to get more of you? Well, um, they can start with my website, which is healingmindsmentalhealthcoaching.com. I'm on there and it has all of the information and resources of um, the services that I offer and who I work with to get more information there. I'm also on social media. Um, on Instagram, uh, Healing Minds, let's see, Instagram, Healing Minds Coaching, and then on Facebook, Nikki.HealingMinds Mental Health Coaching. So um, we'll have all that. But yeah, if you even just Healing Minds is um, my business, and that is what I kind of work towards is to heal minds. I love it. And I'll, I'll have all that linked to guys in the show notes here too. So you can go in check her out, follow, see what her journey is, because I know we got into the story today, but definitely you're going to want to connect and just stay in touch and shoot her a message, send her a message, let her know what your thoughts are always open to connect. But I want to thank you, Nikki, for taking the time out here to come and tell your story, share your experiences, but not just that share how you've taken those experiences and transformed it into the work you do today to really provide value to families and teens and, and people who need it and don't have it. So thank you. Well, thank you for this opportunity to share and just kind of, you know, say what I'm doing and what I'm hoping to do. And just uh, um, this journey that I'm on, it's, it started a long time ago. And now here I am trying to help others. I love it. And I love that we got to make this conversation happen. And thank you, you yeah. guys as well. So not, thank you for being here, tuning in and just, you know, being here to listen to this episode. And it means a lot. So on that note, I'm going to end it here and say bye to you guys and bye to Nikki. So bye guys and bye Nikki. Bye. <laughs>